For far too long, injury lawyers have cared way too much about money and boosting their egos, and not enough about the people they serve. That stops now. Welcome to the Mutrux Firm Injury Lawyers Podcast, where trial lawyer Tyson Mutrux cuts through the BS and gives you practical takeaways to get you back on your feet, settle your case, and get on with your life. No fluff, no ego. And now, here's your host, Tyson Mutrux. Welcome back to the Mutrix Firm Injury Lawyers Podcast. My name is Tyson Mutrix, and today I've got my really good friend, David Terry. He's a nursing home negligence attorney in Missouri. David, thanks for coming on, bud. Thanks, Tyson. I appreciate it. Thanks for having me. All right, so tell people what you do. What, what, is, what are nursing home negligence cases? Nursing home negligence cases are when older people in nursing homes who are residents there are seriously injured or killed as a result of nursing home abuse or nursing home negligence. All right. So in, in, in both situations, so whether the person has died or not, who is typically the client? I mean, I'm assuming that the, the client is typically whenever they don't, when they don't die is the person that was, that was injured. Um, but is, is that always true? Typically, I am called by a family member. There are cases that uh, wh where the resident himself has called me as a result of an injury, but that's really a rarity. The, the vast majority of the time, it's a family member, either a son, a daughter, or a spouse who is calling me about uh, their loved one who has been seriously injured as a result of abuse or neglect or who died, uh, which would then be a wrongful death case. The vast majority of my cases are wrongful death cases. Okay, and I mean that's that's pretty freaking sad. Um, tell me this: we're, we're saying nursing home. Are we strictly talking about nursing homes, or are we also talking about hospitals sometimes too? Well, certainly things happen in hospitals as well. I tend to focus my practice on nursing homes and what are called assisted living facilities, which is kind of the uh, I guess the the less intensive care needs. So people who are in pretty good shape uh, physically, but just need some assistance with their living, like assistance with medications, maybe assistance with meals, things like that, but otherwise are able to kind of do a lot of things on their own. That'd be an assisted living facility. A nursing home is generally called a skilled nursing facility. And that's for the people who are really in greater need of care. So, uh, you know, assisted living, not as much care needed, skilled nursing or nursing home, a substantial amount of care needed. So those are the two entities that are involved in most of my cases. Hospitals, things happen there, uh, but I tend not to get too involved with them. All right. So with when it comes to injuries, I mean, are we talking like bed sores and, and staff abusing the residents? I mean, what, what are we talking about here when it comes to injuries? When you're talking about injuries, yeah, you're talking bed sores, also known as pressure sores or pressure ulcers, um, which is when a, a person lays or sits in one spot for far too long and literally their skin begins to rot. 
uh, and it can go all the way from being a stage one bed sore, which is just a lack of blood flow, and it begins to be a little red, to all the way to a stage four bed sore, which is all the way down to the bone. You can physically look inside the person and see their bone. Uh, it's a horrible injury. Um, other serious injuries, you have falls that can result in broken hips, broken bones, uh, skull fractures, or I see a lot of subdural hematomas, which are when somebody falls, they hit their head, and it's actually a traumatic brain injury that leads to bleeding on the brain, and that normally results in uh, the person's death uh, within a, a few days, hours or days. You know, other injuries um, that, that you could uh, kind of categorize in the neglect category uh, would be urinary tract infections uh, that uh, develop into what's called sepsis, which is just essentially an out-of-control infection, uh, and that can cause death. Um, all sorts of injuries that can result in death due to the lack of care, the lack of uh, nursing care provided by the facility. Abuse is a little different. Um, neglect is the lack of doing something. Abuse is an affirmative action taken against, uh, an affirmative violent action taken against a resident. So that's going to be punching a resident, you know, slapping, kicking, uh, tossing them out of a chair. Um, that's going to be an affirmative abusive situation sexual assault, which is far more common than you would ever imagine. It's the worst thing in the world to think about is uh, would be an abusive action. And that's generally taking place by uh, an individual as opposed to a corporate situation such as a neglect situation. So I find this really interesting because I think, I think most people listening to this are thinking, okay, so Tyson, you have an injury firm. Don't you do these types of cases? And, and it's, it really is kind of interesting how it may seem like you and I do the same stuff, but we don't. It's, it's drastically different from your auto accident case or a medical malpractice case even or a fall case. Nursing home cases are way different. And a lot of that has the, to do with the actual documentation that you have to get and the people you deal with. But what, what are some of the documents that you need for a nursing home case? Well, it's funny you say that. I had a call um, a day or two ago, somebody wanting me to look over their uh, beneficiary deed to see if that is uh if it's valid or something and i'm like i have a clue i don't i don't know the first thing i don't even know what a beneficiary deed is and they're like well you're a lawyer so yeah there there are massive differences between what the lawyers uh, and their specialties do there's big differences between nursing home cases and assisted living cases and hospital cases the facts may be identical, but the location where it happens changes the analysis of the case and and changes the documentation of the case. I've chosen to focus on nursing home cases. And some of the key documents in nursing home cases are obviously the medical records. Uh, and so you would get the medical records from the facility, the nursing home, and uh, any hospitals that were involved. Um, other documents that are important are what are called cost reports. That's a state document. Surveys, which every nursing home undergoes an annual survey. It's where inspectors from the state go in and kind of comb through everything. Um, 
and, and there's a variety of other kinds of documents that are generated by the nursing home, um, some of which they will not give you unless you specify it because they consider it not clinical care. So that would be what's called an ADL flow sheet, stands for activities of daily living. Uh, and that's going to be how often was the resident bathed? Uh, how often did the resident eat? How much did they eat? How much water did he or she drink? How much urine did he or she output? Uh, you don't have what's called an I and O, intake and output. You don't have those in every case, but you ask for them. There's something called an MDS form, which stands for minimum data set. And that's just a, that's a crucial document and it's in a massive assessment. They're often like 45 pages long and they assess every single thing about the resident. Um, from the nursing home's perspective, they're gonna say, well, that's not really a clinical document because it goes to Medicare and Medicaid for payment purposes, but it is a clinical document because it's assessing everything about the resident. And sometimes, not always, sometimes the MDS form paints a much worse picture than reality because guess what? That document goes to the government to get paid. And so if you paint a worse picture, they get paid more. I find that fascinating. I, I really do. This is just the whole, just everything about it's fascinating. And, and these are just horrific injuries. Um, mm -hmm. So they are. Uh, what, uh, when it comes to some of the records that they don't want to give you, I mean, are they ultimately forced to get to give those to you, or do you have to sue to get those records? And and are a lot of those records are they claiming that they're work product, and is it something that you can't get through discovery? <laughs> There's like ten questions there. I Tyson. know it's a lot of questions there. I just I've got so many questions about it. The answer is yes, 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 and yes. Um, so. Yeah, there are some questions or some uh, documents that they're going to say are protected by attorney-client privilege or some other kind of privilege. Those you tend to fight for. That's going to be things that, uh, like an incident report, something that they say um, that they use to make the facility better, a peer review document. Um, those tend to uh, be fought over, and the judges will have to make that decision. Other documents that they may be reluctant to give you, but essentially will, and over time I've kind of learned how you phrase a request to get those documents are what I talked about, the ADL flow sheets. So those are documents that are prepared by the CNAs, the Certified Nursing Assistants. They are not nurses, they're nursing assistants. Only nurses can chart in what's called the medical chart. That's gonna be nurses notes, therapy notes, that's the therapy department and other types of assessments. The CNA documentation or the ADL flow sheets are how often were they bathed, what they eat, et cetera, things like that. How often are they turned and repositioned? The nursing homes will often take the position, those are not part of the chart. So if you ask for just the chart, you're not gonna get those because they take the position, it's not a clinical document, it's not prepared by a nurse and therefore it's not part of the chart. So you have to specifically ask for them. The dumb part is, from my perspective, is of course it's part of the chart because cleanliness is important when it comes to infection. So if somebody's not getting bathed for three weeks at a time or they're lying in their urine and feces for hours on end and they come in and just clean them up a little bit, don't bathe them, 
and then they end up getting an infection that's in that wound right in that area, that's a huge issue. That's a clinical issue. And so usually I'll end up getting them. Periodically, you have these ADL flow sheets that they shred because they say it's not part of the chart. And then, you know, that's another interesting analysis. That that's maddening. That would drive me crazy. I do have a question. So let's say that the the person has passed away, and they so they've not signed a HIPAA release, and so you can't request the records the the typical way with a HIPAA authorization. How do you get those records when the person has died? It used to be really hard. It used to be you know, as recent as a couple of years ago, where you had to open up an estate, go through the probate court, spend. $2,000, $3,000 or something to open up an estate, get somebody appointed as personal representative, and then the personal representative who stands in the place of the deceased person can request those records. The one thing the legislature has done that's beneficial in the last couple of years, because they're fairly hostile to medical cases, is they created a situation where all you have to do is prepare an affidavit of next of kin. So nowadays, Somebody, you know, comes in, let's say it's a, a daughter who comes in, mom's deceased. They fill out an affidavit that essentially identifies who mom is, what their relationship is with mom, and some other things. It's very simple to put together. And then they also fill out uh, a high-tech authorization, which is similar to HIPAA. And whammo, you can send those two or three documents and they are required to give you the records just with that. Don't have to open up an estate anymore. It's much more streamlined and certainly much less costly. And we, we actually use the same forms that you do when it comes to the affidavits because we, we have to get those in wrongful death cases. So uh, very, very similar when it comes to that. All right, David, I, I, I told you this is going to be less than 10 minutes, but it's longer, but it's because you had a lot of great information. Tell people how they can get in touch with you if they have a nursing home case. You can always call our office at 314-878-9797. Uh, our website is terry, T-E-R-R-Y, lawoffice.com. And um, my email address is dterry at terrylawoffice.com. Reach us any one of those three ways. Awesome. Thanks, David. Appreciate it. Great work. You bet. Thank you, Tyson. Thank you for listening to the Mutrux Firm Injury Lawyers Podcast, a production of Mutrux Firm, LLC. We offer a free 30-minute strategy session to discuss your personal injury case. You can ask us anything free of charge. Call 888-550-4026 to schedule your call or use the link in the show notes. If you're trying to handle your personal injury case on your own and running into issues with the insurance adjuster or not getting the treatment you need, try these three things. One, don't give a recorded statement. Two, ask your doctors to do your treatment on a lien. And three, don't negotiate with the adjuster prior to getting all of the treatment you need. Check out our YouTube channel for more helpful tips, where we have hundreds of how-to and explainer videos, or go to TysonMutrucks.com. Until next time, thanks for listening.